here. Alright, if you will turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. Um, while we're turning, while you're turning or finding that in your bulletin, uh, two things. One, um, I want to just uh, thank you again for calling me as your pastor, your senior pastor. It is an honor. And uh, thank you for all that, all of you who were part of that service on Sunday night. And I recognize that everybody could be there, and that's fine. But thank you to everyone who, who made that possible, the reception. Um, Alishka, Susan, many, many others, Jean. Uh, I know that there's more that I'm leaving out, but thank you for, for doing that. It was a special night. And, um, yeah, uh, pray for me. I'm praying for you. Pray for me, as um, I, I'm, I'm so I'm so glad for this privilege, and um, I hope to to serve y'all well and to continue to point you to the gospel and um, to the sufficiency and the power and the love of Christ. Um, second thing, I want to thank the uh, everyone who's involved with our. Our morning small groups. It's it's kind of like Sunday school, except it's the same. Uh, it's it's uh, and uh, you're like, oh, we changed the words, but it's kind of like the same thing. Uh, I kind of want to get away from this idea of you know the connotations, kind of no no offense, Chip, that school has. Um, <laughs> but you know we we are learning together. But I want us to think more of it as is learning learning together, but learning together, okay? Emphasis on the together part. And so if you've noticed, we've, what we're doing with our adults, with our youth, with our children is things that are interactive, things where we, can, we talk and we share. We do have a video series which is really good, which is about loving each other well in the body of Christ called Growing Together. Uh, but thank you to all of you who, are, who taught this morning, who are making that possible. I want to encourage you, if you have, if you have youth and children, Please take advantage of of this opportunity to to for your child, for your youth, for your young person to to get to know uh, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and to grow in their knowledge of the Scripture. Um, and so, um, I appreciate Alishka and Timothy and and Shannon who subbed in for Timothy. He had to be out this morning, and uh, but thank you for doing that. Please consider joining us for small groups Sunday morning uh, next week. All right, with that said, uh, we are embarking on a, new, on a new series. I'm excited. It's been a while since we've done a, a narrative. It's been a while since we've been in the Old Testament. We are going to look at the book of Exodus. This is going to take us, I think, a decade. No, I'm not going to do that. No, it's a long book. It's 40 chapters, and you probably wondered. And, and so just to let you know a little bit about Exodus, uh, this is not a kind of standalone book. It's a continuation of Genesis. We're just kind of picking up where it left off. It's written by Moses, just as Genesis was. This is, this is a, a wonderful book. We're going to see as we go through it, we're going to see wonderful things of, of God's people being delivered 
from slavery. We're going to see we're going to see these these the plagues. The God demonstrates his power against the Egyptian gods. He's going to demonstrate his love for his people. He's going to he's going to we're going to see meet Moses, the great redeemer of Israel. This this fallen human being that God prepares to be this this person that will lead them lead them to freedom. We're going to see the 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 uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, burning bush. We're going to see this, the God separate the waters of the Red Sea. We're going to see Moses go up on the mountain and receive the covenant written in, in, in stone and the Ten Commandments, along with all his other commands and covenant promises to God's people. We're going to we're going to see the the, the formation of the temple. I mean, the, the tabernacle and how to build it. It's, it's all these pivotal things that the rest of the whole rest of the scriptures built on. These these events, these institutions, the the, the it, it's it's so integral to all the rest of the scripture, and so um, again, it's a lot of the the law and and the tabernacle and 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 the promise of a new land. But again, this is a continuation of what God started in in the garden. It's 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 a, him beginning to expand on the fulfillment of his promise to establish a people for himself, a promise he made even in Genesis 3.15. But we see him expand that. And we see this, this, this here in this book, is the most significant redemptive event in the life of God's people, Israel, until the coming of the Messiah. And so I'm excited for us to look at it, excited for us to understand it, excited for us to, to see how it applies to us today. How it points to, how it communicates God's love and grace to us, how it, how it just oozes God's covenant faithfulness, and, and how it points us to Jesus. Every page points us to Jesus. The ultimate fulfillment of God's covenant promise so with that let's let's um, pray and then read God's word together gracious God we thank you um, for speaking through the prophet Moses and preserving this your word for for many many centuries for thousands of years that we have it and know the story of us the story of your people and Lord, that we would see your um, your faithfulness and your um, pursuing love. Lord, help us to see that even even this morning as we read these opening verses. Um, encourage us in your sovereign care, your infinite love for your people this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with, with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation... But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. 
And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they, they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. There's three things I want us to see in this text as we begin our study. First, I want you to see Israel's progression. And then we're going to look at Israel's oppression. And then finally, Israel's hope and ours. Israel's progression, Israel's oppression, and Israel's hope and our hope. Uh, like I said at the beginning before we read, that this is not a standalone, like we just jump in as a brand new story. This is a continuation. Actually, in the Hebrew, uh, it, the, the first line, the first word, the first letter of the first word is the word wow, which means and. And these are the names of the sons of Israel. So it's really a, a continuation of what's just happened. And, and if, you're, if you're new to the church, if you're new to Christianity, where, where are we in the story? What has happened? Well, a lot. <laughs> a lot has happened. But just briefly, I want to share with you, what, where do we find God's people? Um, we have this list of names, these, these, sons, these, these, these sons of Jacob, uh, but but where did, how did we get here? Well, created, God created all things good. Sin entered the world. Satan tempted Eve and Adam. They, they ate. There was a fall. And like I said before, there was this promise that one day the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. That, that, that there would be a defeat that would come about through an offspring of the woman. And there's the promise. And so we have this, and we're looking, and generations pass, and, and the world falls into chaos and sin, and, and it's utterly sinful, and God says, I'm going to bring judgment. But before that, He has a faithful one. He has a, a, a man named Noah that He loves and is faithful. And He chooses him. He says, uh, I, I'm going to choose you. And He spares Noah and his family from the judgment of the flood. And God makes a, uh, continues, He adds to the promise, a promise to preserve, a promise to keep, a promise to protect, and no longer bring ultimate judgment like that, a worldwide judgment anymore, but to preserve this seed, to preserve Noah and his family, to create an environment where the, where the promise will, will be, can be fulfilled. And many generations follow. And then God calls in the midst of still sin and rebellion calls a man named Abram, a descendant of Noah, descendant of Shem, Noah's son, a man who really was an idol worshiper, 
It was living in the land where where the Tower of Babel was built. An idolater, an unbeliever, and he called to him and says, I'm going to make you mine. I'm going to make you... I'm going to make you, Abram, into a nation. And he does, after many, many years of the promise, he, he makes a promise, and he promises in Genesis 12, I'm going to do this. And then he, he promises in Genesis 15, I'm going to do this. And he, and, he, and, he, and he makes him cut a covenant, and he passes through the animals. Well, not, not Abram, but God. God promises, and instead of Abram having to walk with him and saying, if we fall short, if we do not keep our promise to each other, then may we be as these animals. He put Abraham to sleep, and and only God passed through. That if this promise isn't kept, then may I die like these animals. That's the God's promise. And he says that in 15, and then Genesis 17, he he promises him again. Because Abraham is struggling to believe. He goes, I want to give a sign, the sign of circumcision, a mark on your body that you will know that I will come through. And then Abraham's son, Isaac, who receives the mark of the sign of the covenant, then he has a son, Jacob. And then Jacob, here we are, Jacob has these sons. And we know the story of of Joseph, the son of, of Rachel. And if you read this and you're reading like, this isn't the birth order. If you've, if you've noticed, you're reading these lists of the names of his sons. It's not the birth order. They're actually arranged in uh, their, who their mother is. We have, uh, we have Rachel, I mean, we have Sarah's children. And then we have uh, Sarah's uh, servant's children. And then we have Rachel's Benjamin child, and then her servant, and his, and and and, the, and Dan, Nephtali, Gad, and Asher, and then again the firstborn of Rachel was Joseph. But Joseph endured many trials and many hurts at the hand of his own brothers, sold into slavery, and and here he is, he's he finds himself a, a slave, and then finds himself a prisoner, and then through God's providence after decades of misery he finds himself with God's help interpreting a dream of Pharaoh and, and, and foretelling of a great famine to come and Pharaoh makes him head over all of Egypt second only to Pharaoh himself and then Jacob finds himself with this invitation by his own son to come and live in Egypt and to be spared and he and all his household to be saved That's the cliff notes. That's the cliff notes of the cliff notes. (laughs) And that's the story. You see that we come here and and, and we kind of get to chapter 8, I mean verse 8, and we go, man, this is bad, but do you see how good God has been to His people? That He's come through with all these generations from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this living God has, has, has come through and, and through the most unlikely of scenarios, through this, this seemingly death of Moses, I mean of, of Joseph from, from, uh, from, from uh, Jacob's point of view. He's not dead. He's been enslaved. But he, now he finds him the savior of his whole family. And all the people of Egypt and all the surrounding areas because they store up that food and when the famine hits, many, millions of people are spared and, and survive through God's blessing through Joseph. And so they find themselves in a land and, they, and Joseph gives his own family at the, at the, with the approval of Pharaoh 
the best land, the land of Goshen, east of the Nile, the best land for their herds, the best land for for shepherds to live. And they go there and they thrive. And they thrive and they grow and they multiply. Seventy turns into hundreds, 700 to 7,000 to the point that there are probably over a million people just 400 years later. Maybe even two million. God has blessed. God has, has helped His people. But get this. This is God's fulfilling of His promise. Part of that promise, that part of that promise He made, He gave to Abraham three different times. In, verse, in, in, in Genesis 17, He says, My covenant is with you, and I shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be named Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and, keep, and kings shall come from you. He talks about them being um, as numerous as the sand of the seashore, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And though all this evil befell Joseph, all these horrible things happened, Joseph's able to say at the end of Genesis 50, he goes, as for you, talking to his brothers who are afraid that he's about to get revenge, which makes sense, right? Uh, He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God was at work. God was preserving His people. God was fulfilling His promise to make Abraham and his wife, this old man and this old barren woman, into have a huge family. And we open up the pages to Exodus, that's what He's done. He's done it. In the most unlikely of ways. He gave them this land... And here's a cool thing, and this is, this is really weird, another thing that's not really in the text, but uh, Egyptians thought that shepherds were like the lowest of the low. So guess what? Israel and his family got the land, and they were left alone. You know, the, when they leave, there's this whole, this whole you know, struggle of don't intermingle, don't intermarry, don't... When they were in Egypt... The Egyptians wanted nothing to do with them <laughs> until they were enslaved. But for, for, for years, for maybe even centuries, they enjoyed peace and fertile ground and just able to care for the flocks of the Pharaoh and their own. And God grew them and grew them and grew them. God is coming through on His promise. That's where we are with verse 7. And then we get to verse 8. But then there arose a new king. Then we get to the oppression. Then we get to the, the hardship. Then we get to this awful thing. That it's really the first thing we think of when we think of Exodus. The beginning. How, did, what, 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 how does it start? It begins with slavery. And there it is. Eventually there arose a king who did not know about Joseph. And you think about it. You know, we read back on this. Do you get that 
400 years? The United States only existed for 240? So for four, it's been 400 years since the hero Joseph showed up. Where there would have been people of Egypt that would have thought well of the Israelites. Now they just seem as this numerous, this, this foreign foreigners in their country that are more numerous than them and they're just a problem and a, a source of fear. But after 400 years, the king, the pharaohs, this current one has now forgotten. And now they're just seen as a threat, as a blight, as a problem that must be controlled. How did they do that? Well, they set them to work. And there seems to be a progression here as you read it. They put taskmasters over them. They began to give them other jobs besides just shepherding and keeping the flocks. And they, and they, and they you know, spread them about. Decentralize them. But what happened? Despite the efforts, they grew even more numerous. So from splitting them up and spreading them out throughout the, throughout the kingdom, then, they, then what do they do next? Then they, well, let's actually enslave them. They ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. No longer just jobs assigned by the government. No longer just, hey, why don't you move over here? Y'all can leave Goshen if you want. Now it's, you have no rights. You have no privileges. You have no status. You are slaves. And they were made to do bitter work making bricks and building um, cities and storehouses for the Pharaoh. They dreaded them and they loathed them, it says. And my question is, how can this be God's will? Okay, you've got to stand back a minute. Imagine being that seventh generation, eighth generation of Israelite in Egypt. You had no choice of where you live, no choice. You know, we know the story. We know what's about to happen. But imagine being there and being... 400 years removed from the promise. Imagine, you know, somebody, a parent, a grandparent going, well, you know the promise. <laughs> how, how near would that, would God's word feel to you after 350 years or 400 years? How could, how could God be doing this? This is clearly God's, God's at work here. He got them there. They're multiplying. But how could it be that life was so miserable and it's so hard at this point? You know, when we, uh, when we moved to uh, Jacksonville, there were a lot of things we had to do to really confirm God's will that we were going to be at Jacksonville State. A lot of it had to do with money. <laughs> so when we got a call from, from Steve Mays and some elders to say, hey, would you come do RUF at Jacksonville State? My initial thought was no. I asked, how much money do you have set aside? $5,000. I was like, that doesn't sound good. 
And uh, and I said, I don't, that, you let me, you know, that, that's not a good. I mean, it's a start, you know. Uh, but you know, I, I looked up, and we'd have to have thirty-five thousand uh, dollars that you know uh, committed before we even started. You know, the, the, that's the initial phase. And I was going, man, that's a lot. That's a lot less than thirty-five thousand. But we uh, we prayed about it and talked. You know, Steve called me up. I said, I don't know. And I called him up six weeks later. And then I had to talk him into it because he had gotten cold feet. And I was like, No, I'm ready now. He's like, Well, I'm not. And so it was this weird thing. But we began to fundraise, and God provided. And then, and then we had to, and then we had another financial goal of fundraising. God provided that again. And before we moved on to the field, we had to have. 85% of our first year's budget committed, not in the bank, but committed, and we hit the goal. We hit it, and we were able to move. And we're going, God's in this. God's doing this. And so I remember going, all right, let's go buy a house. God's clearly into this. He clearly wants us to do it. He's, this is His will. Let's buy a house and put our house for sale. And we're like, well, should we buy a house before we sell this one? No, God, it's God's will. That's what I thought. And it was. And then, um, after, you know, five years, we sold the house. That was weird. That was, that was a learning. That was, that was a lot of learning for Grant and Camille then. But I thought, God, you were at work. I thought you were doing this. was what you wanted. Why is this part so hard? What are you doing? It's a lot better than being a slave in Egypt. I'm not, I'm, it's apples and oranges, okay? Okay? And there are a lot of people in here that are suffering in much more intense ways than that, even right now. But that was a hard thing for me. You clearly want us here. Why the affliction? This is clearly walking in your ways and your will and what you want. Why is this so hard? Now, God provided, but not in the way we wanted. But again, think about it. This oppression, what was the effect it kept Israel to themselves. The initial sin of partiality on the part of Egyptians kept Israel to themselves and they grew as a people, as a nation, as ethnic Israel. And then when they were separated and spread throughout, God, by His grace, they continued to stay together and, 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 and live according to God's ways. And even as, as slaves, God blessed them and continued to make them more and more numerous. That it seems like somehow through the oppression, through the struggle, what? God was fulfilling His purposes. Now what did God do to, for Camille and I this, having to wait years for a house to sell? We saw that God can provide for us in ways we can never imagine, in ways we didn't really want, but He still took care of us. And the adversity, and the, the adversity we faced, you know, no one wants to be a landlord three out four hours away, but God provided a great person to do the repairs. God provided a great tenant, the, the other pastor, the, the guy who took my place. It was so, we saw so many ways. And God provided for them through our lack of being able to sell the house. Another person had housing for seven years. It was, it was, it was God was at work, but not in the ways we thought. And not in the ways we would ever plan. Um, 
Israel is still... It's easy to see in verses 1 through 7 God's love and grace and faithfulness. But what I want you to see is it's still there in verses 8 through 14. That God's love, God's promises have not been thwarted. Though sometimes it really feels like they are. This is true. This is true of the church. When has the church grown its the most? When has when has the the church moved and 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 it's now all all over the world? There are Christians, and I'm not saying everyone has been reached, but there's hardly a, a corner or an island that hasn't been heard. At least somebody has gone to and shared the gospel. How is this happening? It usually happens through what? Through oppression. Why did everyone leave Jerusalem and start taking the gospel out? Because of the oppression. And they had to flee. And they went all throughout the Mediterranean. And brought what did they take with them? The gospel. What often moved Paul from one city to another and made him go start again? People running him out of town. <laughs> Why a lot of churches get planted? Because of inner conflict. No, no, that's not a count. Never mind. Anyway, um, that was a different sermon. Okay, um, but but as people, as, the, as as God's people were oppressed, as people were martyred, people see, people saw Stephen get stoned for sharing, the, explaining, opening up the Scripture and sharing the Gospel, and they were moved by that. And as as, as the early reformers and the Puritans were burned at the stake, people were like, he, he believed this enough to die for it. He, this is true. This is real. And it's, it's not when the, when the church is, is most prosperous or com- most comfortable that the gospel seems to spread. It's when the church is afflicted and feels the pressure. And you know, sometimes, right even now, we go, I'm worried for my kids, I'm worried about our country, I'm worried about that. And that's, a, that's good. You're aware. You're, 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 your eyes are open. But be comforted. Be comforted in the truth that nothing thwarts God's promise. And... God's people multiplied immensely under oppression. The church grows under oppression. You, as a Christian, grow through suffering. Israel's progression, Israel's oppression, and Israel's Hope and ours. Alec Motier says, Was it then was it then a case of just the way the cookie crumbles? Earthly life is, after all, a chancy affair. And although it would have indeed have been nice if Israel could have awaited its inheritance in security and prosperity, that was not the way it worked out. Without a Bible to teach us, what other view could we take but this? But with the Bible, however, the idea that history is simply the lucky or unlucky spin of the wheel is ruled out. 
It is always first and foremost His story. And what happened in Israel's case was all deliberate and part of a greater plan. Let's go back to Genesis briefly. Joseph said to his brothers, he says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him and was put in a coffin in Egypt. He was dead and in a coffin, but what was the last thing he said? You are going to take my body out of here. God's going to come, and I need to be part of the luggage, okay? <laughs> and you're going to take me to the land of my fathers, and we, that's where I will, my body will rest. And many people, many theologians point to this as the first mention, the first, one of the first hopes of what? The resurrection. That he, it was important to Joseph, who didn't understand, you know, didn't understand the full plan of redemption, but he knew that land was significant. And he needed to be where the land of blessing. He made him promise God's going to do it. Genesis 46, we're kind of going backwards through Genesis. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Genesis 15, going back to Abram. He says this in verse 14, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted, will be afflicted for 400 years. What is the hope of Israel at year 300, at year 350? Is that what? It's the Word of God. It's the promises of God. It's His covenant promises. They've been handed down from generation to generation. He said, I will come. I will take you out of this place. He told Joseph that. Joseph remembered it. Joseph believed it. He made them swear they would take his body. That promise was passed along from generation to generation. Everybody knows where Joseph's buried? Okay. Everybody know. Okay. I need you to know, son, where Joseph's buried, okay? Next generation. Do you know where Joseph is? Because when we get out of here, okay? And then, and then that promise, you know, Abraham, that 400 years. And I'm sure there were people that were skeptical at, your, you know, at 388. <laughs> is this really going to happen? But there the promise was. And, they, and there were those there who held on to it. What is the hope for us when we're struggling? It's God's covenant faithfulness, His Word to us. A good Word. And we have what? A better Word. We have the Word made flesh. Christ has come and Christ says, has said to what? What has He said to us? I am coming again. Are there points in the week, points in your day, where you really 
where it's hard to believe that. It's been more than 400 years. It's been over 2,000 years. Why, how could this be the plan? How could, how could God be... How could God... Why so long? Is He really at work? Is He really going to do what He said He's going to do? That's exactly how the Israelites felt in Egypt. Why so long? Why so much hurt? Why is this the plan? But after 400 years of waiting after Malachi, Jesus came. There was 400 years of silence when Jesus showed up. There's 400 years of waiting before Moses showed up. That's not an accident, y'all. There's progression, there's oppression, there's blessing, and there's hurt in this fallen world. But God is at work, and the hope of Israel, and the hope of you and me, is His Word, is His, His covenant faithfulness. First Peter tells us, on this side of the cross, First uh, Peter 4, it says, Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. John Curry, one of my former professors, says, Persecution is the way that the unbelieving world treats the church. Let us not be naive in this matter. And if we do not see it at first hand in our own personal experience, it is there, festering and ready to pounce. We would be foolish to think otherwise. And as I mentioned before, Matthew Henry says this, a famous saying, he says, Christianity spread the most when it was persecuted. The blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. If you feel weighed down this morning by your sin, if you feel weighed down by the pressing in of the world, the pressing against your, what you believe to be true day in, day out, if you are struggling with a particular circumstance right now, if, you are, if, it's, a, if it's a relationship in your life, if it's a sickness in your life, whatever it is, if you feel this hurt, you feel this oppression, don't be surprised. Don't succumb to, the, to doubting that God loves you. Remember that God is loving and faithful and He was with Israel in prosperity and in slavery and in the hurt. And as we're about to see, and this is, this is, this is at the end of chapter 2. He says, um, chapter 2, verse 23, During those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Um, God was not, had not left them alone. God's word was faithful. And even through their affliction, God was bringing about the fulfillment of His promise. 
And even in our hurts, and even in your hurts, He is bringing about the fulfillment of His promise. The promise to make you, what? To the image of Christ. The promise to bring all His people, all His elect, into His fellowship. He is doing that in and through the church, in and through your highs and your lows. He is at work. Transform, transforming you, calling and transforming, renewing your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church and all over the world. He's with us in the, in the, in the blessing. He's with us through the, through the struggle, through the trials. Our hope is in His character and His covenant faithfulness. Our hope is in Christ who fulfilled the promises of God, who came and died and freed us from slavery. And though we struggle, He he hears us, He sees us, just like He heard and saw Israel, and He knows He's with us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for this, Your Word. Help us to believe these things. Help us to see the beauty of Your work, even in the oppression of Israel. Help us to believe you are working working in our lives and the lives of others that we love and we see when we're experiencing oppression and feeling oppression of the unbelieving world or just the harshness of the fallen world lord help us to rely on you give us the eyes of faith give us the ability to to have uh, to be sure of what we cannot see to 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 be to be find comfort and peace in your um, infinite love and to wait, to wait on you to bring relief and ultimate vindication. You have said you will do it and you will surely do it. Um, Lord, help, help this meal that we are about to partake to, um, to remind us of your covenant faithfulness Help us to taste the bread and to, and to taste the fruit of the vine and know that, um, that you have done the work of redemption uh, for us and that you uh, will fulfill your purposes in us and through us. Um, strengthen our faith uh, through your word and through the sacrament. In Jesus' name, amen.